What's up, my fellow lionesses and lions? Welcome to the Project Lioness podcast. We are here to disrupt the mainstream narrative when it comes to health, holism, and human consciousness. We are here to share bold truths about health and life from a female perspective. This episode is brought to you by our team, Inspire Co., where we stand for your health being inspired by choice rather than being inhibited by chance. Thank you for being here and joining in on these raw, real, and powerful conversations. We hope our show brings you inspiration and empowerment to overcome challenges, reclaim your life, and ultimately pursue your mission with power, purpose, and play. Now, let's get into the episode. is up party people welcome to the project lioness podcast my lions and lionesses thank you for joining me thank you for your ears this is ashley doing another solo podcast today a kind of follow-up to my previous episode um, again i get to hang out with my wonderful cats i actually have tigger right in front of me trying to mess with all the podcast equipment cords so <laughs> so that's great hopefully she's not um, chewing on anything important no, I'm just teasing. She's just staring at me like, why are you saying my name? <laughs> but thank you again for joining me. I'm really pumped about this episode. I know if you were able to listen to last week's episode, it was heavier. It was a little bit more difficult. Um, it was obviously very vulnerable, very exposing for me to record that episode. Um, also very powerful. I have received so much incredible support and feedback from people who are able to listen to that episode. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share my story, to step into my own truth, and to take a little bit of my own power back in um, not hiding from what is what is me, what is my story, what's made me who I am. So I really appreciate that. But to kind of piggyback off of that episode, I'd like to talk today about strategies to heal and grow. And I touched a little bit on this in the end just to give you guys a heads up about what it would be like um, for this coming episode to just go ahead and look at what did I do? (laughs) What did I do? What am I still doing that really helped me move through some of these things that's currently helping me move through some of those really difficult things? So we'll talk about strategies to heal and grow today, a little bit easier of a topic, I think. Again, though, I will still likely be um, referencing some of my previous episode things. So just a heads up again, if you're feeling like hearing about um, eating disorders or abuse, um, self-harm might be tricky for you right now. There are bits of that episode where I'm just going to touch base on perhaps what strategy I used for um, that specific thing or if I used more than one. So you may still hear those things, just a heads up. But otherwise, excited to dive in. Let's hit it. Good to go. So strategies to heal and grow. Uh, I'd like to first talk about very briefly because I do have a plan to record an episode with my husband, Scott. So some of you know he's in graduate school, about to be in his practicum um, to become a therapist. And his modality is really going to be focused on using um, IFS, internal family systems. And this is the kind of therapy that I use um, with my therapist and what I use on myself even outside of therapy. It's kind of a way that I can talk to myself, converse with myself that I find really beneficial. So I don't want to get too uh, deep into this, but it has been such an important strategy for me in 
figuring out how to view what happened to me differently, trauma differently. Um, so in a nutshell, Internal Family Systems was made, was, I guess, birthed by a man named Richard Swartz. And there is a book on this that he writes for not just therapists, but for everyday people called No Bad Parts. And I cannot recommend it enough. It's a great read. It's incredibly helpful. Um, so again, No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz, and he is the founder of IFS, but I do want to stop, and he does this too in the book, and give credit to um, a lot of young women with eating disorders. So Richard Schwartz was working at a clinic with mostly women, as we know that primarily women are the main sufferers of eating disorders, um, although... There is lots of data out there about men um, suffering from eating disorders at a higher rate, but just not, we're not recognizing the way eating disorders are showing up in men. But I digress. So, Richard Swartz working in a clinic helping young women with eating disorders, and he kept hearing these women talk about these different parts. Oh, I have this critical part that really you know, can't, I can't get out of my head. It's always insulting me. Or I have this really angry part that's just pissed off about everything. But they're referring to the way that they're feeling in these different moments in time as parts. And Richard was really intrigued by this. And that's actually how he built the IFS structure that is used in therapy um, if you're using um, internal family systems. So it's really a way to look at all of the different parts of you with number one, a compassionate eye. I think that's really the most important takeaway that I want to cover today is every part of you is necessary. Every part of you matters. Every part of you is helping you, even if it doesn't seem that way. So that critical part that some of these women were mentioning, it's not there because it wants to hurt you. There's nothing in your body that's trying to hurt you, but perhaps that critical part you know, kind of snapped off from the main, what we call in IFS, the capital S self. Think about that like your true soul self, um, who you really are. If you could scrape away the layers of difficulty, of trauma, of people pleasing, any of those things, that any masks that you might be wearing, that's your capital S self, right? Um, so if you can look at that, like a part broke away from your capital S self, and it became this critical part, it did that at a moment in your life where it needed to. You needed to be protected from something. You needed to be supported in something. And your mind and body combined to make this critical part to help you. Now, the problem with these parts, and problem is a strong word, um, but problem for lack of a better word, would be that they stick around and they keep doing this one job, being this critical part for longer than you need it to. So perhaps it you needed that critical part at one part in your life, um, and now you don't anymore, but it's still around all the time. And so how can we converse with that part to get it to essentially take up another job? Because again, if it is doing something, quote unquote, what we experience as now negative in our lives, as in we don't need it to perform that function anymore, it probably doesn't want to be doing that function anymore either, right? It gets tired of doing this thing that doesn't appear to be helping us. So it's a way to communicate with those parts to help heal and integrate those parts back into the true soul self. It is um, can totally be done. Like I said, I use it at home um, when I'm just kind of struggling with my own 
things. Like it's, it's a thing you can do at home, but I definitely find it a little bit more successful with a, a therapist. There are not a ton of internal family systems therapists because the training is so backed up for this particular kind that there's actually a lottery for it. So they're drawing um, therapist names through a lottery instead of like first come first serve. So, but there are lots of therapists that are practicing IFS that are perhaps perhaps not exactly certified yet, um, but are definitely still a great option. So please check that out. I'm definitely going to do an in-depth episode with Scott in the coming weeks, probably more like I would say May, so I can give him a chance to finish up his current grad school, uh, his last semester really before practicum. So Look forward to that, but I wanted to mention it here at least briefly because it has really changed the way that I view all of me, and it has really made me take a more compassionate eye, which I think is an incredibly important part of healing. We we don't get very far by ridiculing ourselves. We don't get very far by continuously being hard on ourselves. You know, we really... Compassion and love, I believe, is the first step in healing. And if we can't look at all parts of ourselves with love, then there are going to be some of those parts that stay away doing that job that we don't want them to do anymore. So I have, it's difficult work. I definitely come up against parts that have really been through some trauma, like I talked about before. There's a lot of parts in here that broke away from sec- being sexually abused. And those parts are scared and lonely and they don't trust anyone. So communicating with them is hard. But I try to remember that what they've been through is harder. And according to that part, it's still living in that time, right? It still thinks I'm some four, five, six-year-old kid who is being abused. And so they're terrified all the time. And I need to update them and let them know, hey, I'm actually a 33-year-old woman who's happily married and I'm safe in my day-to-day life. And to care for that part so it feels safe enough to integrate back into the whole has been incredibly beneficial to me. I truly cannot say enough nice things about IFS. So if you have really any kind of trauma, um, or if you're just looking for a way to better interact with who you are, I highly recommend picking up that book, No Bad Parts, and maybe even checking out for an IFS therapist might be a super good idea. So look for that in the coming episodes for sure. It'd be great to deep dive in that one. Um, Next up, I want to talk about trauma-sensitive mindfulness. Um, I hesitate to use the word meditation because I, well, I'm not very good at meditating. (laughs) That sounds like I'm being a little bit hard on myself, but I think I'm just being honest in that regard. I tried for many years of my life to meditate and found that I had a very, very visceral, strong, negative, um, negatively connotated, I guess, response, although useful. I don't want to say negative as in bad. I'm saying it felt negative to me, but it gave me really useful information about my body. Um, I still had a lot of inner body work, somatic work to do. And so when I sat down to meditate, it just wasn't working for me. So trauma-sensitive mindfulness is not just sit down, shut your eyes and meditate, right? That's not exactly what we're referring to here. There is also another book um, that I read about this and it is called Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness and it's by David, I want to say Trelevin. It could be Trelevin. Um, fantastic read. Again, a pretty simple, pretty easy read, but it really walks you through a lot of the differences. And it first talks about how people with an extensive trauma-filled background or even 
again, because trauma affects people so very differently, even if they just have kind of that one capital T trauma that they're dealing with, meditation may feel really inaccessible to them. And I think you hear a lot of people talk about meditation in a particular way and they'll say things like, I just can't do it. It's not for me. I can't focus. I get so uncomfortable. I've heard a lot of those things and I totally get it. I, that's me. I'm that person. (laughs) I am, I can sometimes successfully comfortably meditate, but often it's, it's not um, beneficial to me. And so when we hear people in the, in the, around us, I guess I should say that know that meditation just quote unquote, isn't for them that there are lots of other activities that they could be doing that would really help them, um, you know, move along in this sort of thing. So there are some things I'd like to chat about that maybe people don't realize as mindfulness. So obviously, um, Scott and I in the spring and summer, we do an activity through Inspire Life called forest bathing, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's bathing in the forest, not the clean your body kind of bathing, but like the soaking it all in <laughs> kind of bathing. And it is a fantastic process, um, fantastic thing that really helps the process of being mindful, right? It is a, it's not just a walk through the forest while you're chatting with your friends the whole time. It's a moment to really stop and be present, perhaps counting your steps or finding an external thing to really take internally into your body. It's being incredibly present in that each moment, in the smell, in what can you taste in your mouth, what do you feel on your skin, right? And that is being mindful. That is slowing down and being present, which is incredibly beneficial, right? It is the first step and I think what many people know the goal of meditation is is to essentially be able to be not attached to your thoughts, right? Be the observer of everything that's going on in your body. But mindfulness is kind of like what I think of as the steps to teach yourself how to be able to do that instead of just being immediately wrapped up in your thoughts as this is who I am, this is what my feelings are, this is what I'm thinking, it allows you to instead just start that observation process, right? So forest bathing or walking in general is great. Even if you don't have any beautiful trails to be on near you, just walking outside and counting your steps or um, seeing how high you can count, like how many numbers you can count before getting distracted and then starting back over. um, Those kinds of things can really be beneficial to starting to you know, observe your thoughts as they come in and interrupt you and then just pick back up on that activity. And it's a little bit easier for people who struggle with meditation because again, you're not seated still, your eyes are not shut, you're not just doing a body scan and noticing, you're being mindful and present, but without having to be so internalized. Um, Another great thing would be like stretching Um, you can definitely, you know, like even when you get up in the morning and you get out and maybe you touch your toes or you pull your hands up over your head, just really noticing that each muscle that you're stretching or really noticing how it feels to go down and touch your toes. You don't have to dig into it any deeper than just, oh, um, my calves are a little tight this morning or, I notice that my neck feels good when I turn it to the left, right? Again, we're just slowing down activity, like a regular daily activity and making it a mindful activity. And it does help us clear out our thoughts too, which is going to bring like more peace, more calm to our systems, which I think is awesome. (laughs) I think everybody needs that a little bit more than we're getting it right now. 
Uh, another one too, could, you could listen to your favorite song and then you could try like one day you know by heart, right? You know all the words, you know all the beats, but listen to it with a different ear. Try to find something that you've never heard before or something that you hear in a different way out of your favorite song. So you're really zoned in on listening to that song. Um, think about any of, like I mentioned, daily activities. Think about anything that you do every day, like the dishes, for example. Really slow down and make that activity the dishes. I'm not listening to music. I'm not, um, you know, talking to my husband. I'm not thinking about what I have to do after the dishes. I am here with the dishes, making them clean, putting them away, right? That can be done with folding laundry. It could be. It can be really any of those activities that we do every day. We can use those activities that we quote unquote have to do to kind of keep up our day-to-day lives and we can make them into something that's going to be beneficial to us that helps us, you know, better unidentify <laughs> our thoughts as who we are and slow things down. Any amount of time that we can spend fully present is incredibly beneficial, especially if you're recovering from trauma. But even if you're not, you know, we, we live such busy lives where we're either thinking about what just happened in a meeting or a meeting that's coming up or what we have to do at the grocery store tomorrow. And you know, we, we very often aren't sitting in the moment. And honestly, when we are, we find that if we are feeling stressed or anxious or uncomfortable, often we're not feeling that way about the present moment. Unless you're like being chased by a tiger, and in which case, please feel anxious, <laughs> kick in your flight reflex and get out of there. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, we're not, we're not normally in that immediate danger. And we kind of feel that, you know, bump of cortisol and adrenaline, and we feel this kind of anxiety in our bodies, but we're in the present moment. If we're really just focused on the dishes or laundry or putting lotion on or things like that, then it's, we realize that we probably aren't, um, upset. We probably aren't as anxious as we thought that we were. And that's really powerful. It's an incredibly powerful skill to learn. I definitely um, used to do trauma-sensitive mindfulness a lot more than I do now. I think now I'm a little bit more able to access some meditation things. But again, it's still an incredibly powerful skill that I needed to hone more, um, you know, before I could sit down and do a meditation. And again, if you're a person who's already meditating and you enjoy it, that's awesome. Keep that up. It's fantastic for you. But again, remember that the benefit of meditation is not, I sat down and meditated for 45 minutes. I'm awesome. (laughs) Not that that's a negative thing, because again, that's impressive, by the way, 45 minutes of meditation is impressive. Um, But the point of, again, of meditation is to just stop identifying with our thoughts to be able to just see them, let them float by and move on and try to find that present moment again. So if you are practicing any kind of mindfulness or meditation, remember that our goal here is to just be in that moment. So that has been hugely, hugely beneficial to me. And I definitely want to recommend that if if you're suffering with this kind of like anxiety or if you feel like you aren't a person that can really be in your body, very easily, then I would definitely try out trauma-sensitive mindfulness. Again, that book um, by the same name that I just said is by David Trelevin or Trelevin. So check that out. Fantastic read. Um, The next thing I think would be worthy to mention is what I went to school for. (laughs) So trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive yoga. Same thing, talked about in a different term sometimes, 
Um, this is near and dear to my heart. So yoga for me, I had always known was incredibly beneficial, even really before um, when I was younger and I didn't really understand that I had as much trauma <laughs> in my life as I do, I would do yoga and just feel like a whole new human being after. It would be like I could, I don't know, like I could have a conversation with myself that I didn't even know was possible. But I did find that often yoga would be um, difficult for me and not in the physical sense, but in the emotional mental sense. So I was really curious about why that was. And I didn't really understand that because yoga is an like an intimate conversation with your body and because you are paying so much internal attention, it's a lot like meditating in that regard, right? So if you are kind of holding on to a lot of trauma in your body as I am currently, as I was before for sure, I, you can find yoga to be a little bit like cracking you open, a little bit difficult. And so I was really drawn to yoga, but also kind of really struggling with like well, what do I do? Like if it's kind of cracking me open and I don't feel supported, I don't want to stop a yoga practice, but I'm not sure how to, how to handle this. So I, you know, kind of sporadically did some yoga throughout my early, I guess, late teens and early twenties until I finally stumbled across trauma sensitive yoga, trauma informed yoga. And it's really just this idea that you can it just helps, I guess, the best thing to say, I have so many things to say about it. So I'm like, ah, like stuttering over my own words here. But I think the best thing in like a one sentence description would just be it teaches you how to be uncomfortable, comfortably. <laughs> like what a concept, right? So I'm talking about in your body, trauma informed yoga teaches you how to be uncomfortable, comfortably. And it lets you know that it'll pass, you can move through it, you are safe in your body, which I think is a, a very, I mentioned in my last episode, how difficult it is for me to cultivate safety in my own body. Um, just have a little bit more description there too. We can talk about trauma-informed yoga using like techniques to help you work through your trauma in your body as well as your mind. So it's not just traditional poses, right? It's not just asana practice. And it is, it does combine the breath work of yoga, the pranayama of yoga, and normally what I do when I'm, say, for example, doing a one-on-one -on -one or a small group trauma-informed class, what I like to do is start off with really gentle, safe breathing. So in through the nose, out through the mouth, I want to sort of get an idea of the person that I'm working with, what they might be noticing in their body, what might be coming up. And then based on areas that they're telling me, that are feeling uncomfortable, we're going to try to bring comfort to those specific areas before we do any poses of any kind. But I also am going to keep in mind those areas when I move into the pose stage. So for trauma-informed yoga, and there are lots of studios now that are offering this. So if this is something that you're interested in, I also do, like I said, small group or one-on-one. -on -one. I think it's kind of hard to do a trauma-informed class with 30 people. <laughs> I, it's not impossible, but it's difficult. And so I like to focus on that. But if this sounds appealing to you or if you've enjoyed yoga, but you've been sort of struggling with, with maybe the emotional aspect of what yoga is doing to you, this would be a great thing to seek out. Um, so again, so keeping in mind what they've 
express to me about what they're feeling, what they're noticing in their bodies. I'm going to have them place their hands on those particular parts of their body that they're bringing up. For me, I could say a lot of it is in my throat area, right above my heart in my throat. And so um, sometimes it feels accessible to me to put my hands there and to breathe and bring strength and gentleness. But other times, if that doesn't feel right, if it actually activates the area more, I would have myself or the person that I'm working with move their hands to an area that they notice feels resourceful. And if you've done any, if you're a person who comes in to inspire life in the office, this is going to sound really familiar to you based on what Dr. Mel can do on the table as well. She's working with areas of your body that feel resourced. And a common question she'll ask you on the table is, well, where do you feel good? If you're, if this area doesn't feel great, what area of your body is feeling strong, right? So that's a very similar thing that I'm doing in a practice. So we'll place our hands on that area. Often for me, it's my abdomen. I mean, my belly is feels strong and resourced. I can normally get air into my belly pretty easily. And we'll start off just kind of giving us that strength in our body. And then we'll kind of oscillate back and forth. We'll move to um, that throat area that's feeling really sensitive. And then we'll move back down to that area that isn't feeling as um or that is feeling more resourced, excuse me. And we'll oscillate back and forth between those two until the kind of message we're sending our body is received. Like, I recognize that you don't feel great here, but hey, look at this other part that does feel strong. We can use this to help us navigate through this difficult feeling that we're having in my, for my example, the throat area. Um, so after we've kind of spent, and it can be, a, it could be a good amount of time depending on the person in the practice. So in anywhere from five to 20 minutes, I would say, doing a kind of warm up that way. Um, some people keep their eyes open. Again, it can be easier and just focus on a spot. Some people have their eyes closed for this part. But after that, we'll transition very slowly into poses that would be specific to what I've received from that client, right? So I normally do, um, before we've even met in person, I normally do a phone call where I take lots of notes on what, you know, what's bothering them, what do they notice in their bodies, so I can already start making a flow of sorts for poses. Um, so when we're in the room and we're doing that flow, it's really focusing on, again, that oscillation. Some of it's going to be a little bit um, exposing of the area. It's going to kind of push that edge of can we can we tolerate this difficulty and then it's going to go back to let's go to maximum resource let's close that area let's make it feel loved and protected um, a lot of two in trauma-informed yoga I personally like to share uh, positive again referencing back to internal family systems that self-love that self-compassion a lot of what I'm saying to the people in the in the class would be things like you're worthy of love um, you are fine just the way that you are right these kinds of sentences that I think everybody needs to hear everybody loves to hear right there's I don't think anyone that I know that doesn't want to hear you're worthy of love. <laughs> like, it's just nice. Even if you already know it, it's nice to hear it from an external source, right? So while we're doing these os these oscillating poses back and forth between a little bit difficult and then super resourceful, you're also being 
you know, kind of inundated, just kind of splattered on this love from, from the instructor. And so it's this really warm, individualized place where even if you are having a stronger emotional response, it's a little bit easier, again, because you're in that small group or you're one-on-one. So it's a little bit easier to be vulnerable in that situation than in a big class. But you also have that support where it's really tailored to you. So trauma-informed yoga has honestly changed my life. Um, in combination with things like network chiropractic care, which I mean, I could do a whole episode on how that's changed my life. <laughs> so obviously that is a point that should be mentioned, but um, this is in combination with network care, in combination with IFS and just being mindful as opposed to meditative. I've really found that um, I know that even if I'm feeling uncomfortable, there's a way through it. And I can get through it and it's okay that I feel uncomfortable. The, that feeling is temporary. And that is my mantra. That is a mantra that I still to this day have to use. This is temporary. I'll get through this. Everything's okay, right? Even if it doesn't feel that way. And I think that that's an incredible thing that trauma-informed yoga and trauma-sensitive mindfulness have really helped me learn is that no matter how bad it feels, there's a way through. And if we can go through, instead of avoiding going backwards or going around, going through is the way to relief. Bypassing is the way to kind of stuff things down and have them pop up again, oftentimes in a more intense manner than they were originally showing up. So again, trauma, sensitive, yoga, it's my jam. (laughs) It is what I went to school for. I I got my regular, I shouldn't say regular, I got my 200-hour certification and then I did an additional course for trauma-sensitive yoga, and it is, it is like I said, my jam. I love it to pieces. If you're interested, please reach out or find a course near you. It is, um, I think, a really unique and really supportive take on yoga if you have really any trauma in your background. So, yeah, well, that one's sink in for a moment. And the next thing I kind of referenced um, when talking about yoga, but this would be breathwork in general. So in the office, quarterly, I teach a breathwork class based on the 12 stages of healing by Donnie Epstein, who is the founder of Network Chiropractic Care. Um, it is, I also mix in some pranayama techniques um, from yoga as well in those classes. But for the purpose of this, I'd like to talk about the 12 stages of healing and how they were helpful to me and how I first kind of came about them. So I had never heard of this type of breath work until I met Dr. Mel. And so back in 2020, I guess at this point, and I started going to what's called Soul Filled Saturdays, which is now what I teach. And by then Dr. Mel was teaching it. Um, and it was incredible. I had never, I mean, because of yoga, I knew that breath was powerful. And I knew that there was all sorts of different kinds of breath that I could utilize to help me feel differently or to feel better or the uh, more in my body or safer. But I guess I didn't really at that time have a lot of introduction to how powerful breath work could be for emotional growth and healing. So it's an incredible journey, the 12 stages of healing. It's not linear. I talk a lot about that in the class. It's not like you go from stage one to 12 and exact perfect order and you only do it once. I mean, this is a process that people go through for their entire lives over various different things. Um, so just the breakdown would be the earlier stages are kind of 
the, the stages where you recognize that things aren't great, you're perhaps suffering or stuck in a perspective of sorts, um, that everything kind of hurts, sucks, if you will. <laughs> and that's, I think, the area of my life. When I met Dr. Mel, that's where I was, right? Things were really shitty. I mean, I was drowning in physical discomfort, mental discomfort, emotional discomfort. Um, but, you know, when I, as I started working with her and working through those earlier stages, I actually, um, we moved into stage four breathwork and that enters a totally different season in the 12 stages of healing where it's all about transform energy. It's about taking your power back. It's about, you know, I'm fucking ready for change. I'm going to be different and I'm going to fucking do it now. And that is the energy I needed in my life. <laughs> and there, the techniques that, you know, that you are, there's a book called the 12 stages of healing that you can totally pick up. We actually give it out in the office. If you're a practice member and you don't have one, please let me know. We'd be happy to give you one. Um, but it is really, it's a fantastic read. It is something that really helped me understand again, similar to all these other things that like, it's fine where I am. It's okay. Whatever stage I'm in, whatever stage I'm relating to, but I can do something about that to kind of move through to the next stage to kind of take my own power back. And it, it is incredible. Um, this breath work helped me quit smoking. I, I was a heavy smoker and vapor before, um, I started working with Dr. Mel and honestly, obviously network assisted me in getting my nervous system online to have more capacity to feel like I could take something like that on, but also breath work made me feel powerful enough to endure it. Something like that is difficult, right? It's really, really hard to quit smoking. Um, but that breath work really helped me and my husband for that matter, both become nicotine free, which is huge. And I'm so incredibly proud of us for doing that. Um, and I really, you know, actually, um, I didn't mention in my previous episode, but one of my coping mechanisms to get through so much of this trauma that I had experienced was I turned to weed. Um, I definitely smoked weed with great regularity and um, we're sober now. And I accredit my ability to be able to become sober to practicing breathwork daily for a long time. Now I probably do a few times a week, I mean, I always do a little bit of breath work every day, right? A little bit of uh, either soothing breath or um, just kind of like a wake me up in the morning breath. But as far as really sitting down for like a big session, probably a few times a week. But for a while, I was practicing various forms of the 12 stages of healing daily, um, as well as attending the monthly classes with Dr. Mel. So it's incredibly beneficial. Breath is so powerful. You know, we need breath, obviously, to live. It is the base of all of our functions and our systems, but it's also a tool to grow, not just live, right? And I have nothing but wonderful things to say about that. So definitely, definitely, if you're like, man, I've never really done breath work outside of like, you know, maybe being told to breathe through my nose in yoga class, <laughs> then you should really check out the incredibly deep rabbit hole of breathwork. Um, do be careful. There are various forms of breathwork that are so powerful that you should definitely never do them alone. Um, holotropic breathwork would be a great example of that. And so as, as amazing and powerful as those kinds of breathwork, that kind of breathwork can be, definitely want to make sure that you have someone around. Um, the 12 stages is is perfectly safe to to do unsupervised, but I would say... If you're in town and you're around, um, 
actually, uh, when I teach those classes, it can be great to have a facilitator kind of walk you through the nuances of the different things. And then I also know Dr. Mal has a YouTube series called The 12 Stages of Healing, where she steps you through in 12 different videos each stage. So if you're not local and you want to get like a little bit of a facilitator side to help guide you through that, that's a fantastic YouTube series. So definitely check that out. Let's see. Let's see. What are we? Oh, yeah. Hand in hand with breath work, <laughs> sound integration. This is a Dr. Mel thing. I sh I'm just stealing it from her right now. <laughs> she should be the one to kind of walk you through sound integration because I really did not understand the importance of using my voice for a very long time. Um, I know, especially, I think I've referenced how I have a little bit of that trauma in my throat area using my voice. Um, you know, in my previous sexual assaults, especially, I didn't talk, right? I was frozen. So I was unable to use my voice. But it's not just talking that we deny ourselves when we don't use our voice. It's sound, right? Maybe a growl or a laugh or a, a, an inhale of fear, right? That kind of feeling, right? So there's sound that we don't allow through in different moments or even not even in trauma. Just think about like a regular conversation. Let's say you're having a conversation with, oh, I don't know, your mother-in-law. And I'm sure she's a wonderful woman and everything is great about her, but you're just like having a bad day. It's not great. And this conversation is kind of annoying you. <laughs> but you can't very well just like heavily sigh and roll your eyes and be like, okay, mom, like whatever, this is fine, but leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you anymore, right? So there's so much sound behind that, that we're denying ourselves in a totally regular conversation. And depending on where we're at or how difficult that conversation may have been, like we might internalize that. And it's going to kind of live in our body as like stuck energy, stuck sound. So sound integration is something that I think goes hand in hand with breath work. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sound is made at different stages. And a lot of times there's a lot of emotions that come up by doing different part or different kinds of breath work. And there's sound behind emotion, right? And I think... This is one of the ones I still have to work on. I'm so embarrassed about making noise, especially around other people. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. But this is why I think it's been so powerful for me personally. The moments I have allowed myself to make a lot of noise, to be loud, to take up space when appropriate, it's been, oh, the relief on the other side is indescribable, truly. It's like a, a whole burden lifted off of my body. Um allowing yourself to be authentic in this way is, I think, hugely beneficial. So with sound integration, there's no secret sauce to this. It's not some super complicated thing. You can lay down and growl because you're pissed off. You can try yelling. If you're worried about your neighbors thinking you're crazy, you could try yelling into a pillow. <laughs> um, you can really just make noise. Put your hands on your body if you feel like a stuck kind of stagnant energy and see what noise might come out if you allow yourself to just kind of connect with that part of your body. Again, I am definitely not the sound integration expert. For sure, reach out to Dr. Mel if you are interested in getting like some really great techniques or even if you come into the office, like let her know that you think that you might need some sound integration on the table. She's fantastic at holding space for that. But really the point I wanted to, to for us to take away from this is that we don't 
need to deny authentic noise from ourselves. We don't need to be ashamed about making noise. You know, I think we we do this, I think, to kids too, and it, and it breaks my heart, right? We, we see children are loud, and children just make the noises they want to make. When they're upset, they cry. When they're angry, they yell, right? And we are so quick to hush them all the time. Oh, be quiet, be quiet. You know, you're being loud in public. I, you know, and, and there's that kind of like embarrassment response that we have because we can't keep our kids quiet. But why? Why why did we suddenly decide as a society that like noise from humans wasn't allowed? Right? And so I just want to say that of course if you're I don't know, screaming at the top of your lungs in a library, maybe decide on a better location next time. But at the same time, recognize that you're, it's okay to take up space. It's okay to make noise. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to any of you. Um, it's fine. We're human beings and we have emotions and those emotions come with sound. And using that sound to integrate in the experience into our body is, is incredible. Like I said, the, the relief that I feel when I do allow myself to make authentic sound. And note that I keep saying authentic sound because I think a lot of times people... I see this in, in breathwork classes where people will think they're quote unquote supposed to sound a particular way during a particular stage. Um, that's that's not that's not going to help you heal, integrate, move through. That's not what we're looking for, right? We're looking for authentic sound that comes from you. And if that's you're like, well, how would I know? You'll know. <laughs> you'll know the difference. Um, I like to use the example. Uh, stage seven out of the 12 stages of healing breathwork series is is called resolution. And it tends to bring up incredibly intense noise from humans. Um, the first one of the first times I ever did it, I screamed the absolute top of my lungs, but it was a scream that came from my belly, right? It came from deep inside of my body. And I was surprised when it came. I did not force it. I didn't ask it to come. I didn't open my mouth with any intention to scream. So when I say by authentic, I mean, again, I was surprised by that noise, but it needed to come out of me. And when it did, it was, again, freeing. The other side, I talk about this in all of the things I've mentioned, but going through that, getting to the other side of that, the relief is immense. So definitely, again, sound integration, check in with Dr. Mel if you would like some more info on that or even how to kind of facilitate it at home. She's a fantastic resource for that, which I am eternally grateful for working with her. I have access to that, um, which is an incredible bonus to me. So let's see. Um, the last bit I think I just want to touch on for this episode, I've mentioned it a few different times, but it's worth giving a couple minutes to just this. I, the most beneficial strategy that I have learned to heal and grow from any of the trauma that I have experienced is simply just self-love, self-compassion, self-understanding. It's also the most difficult one I have to employ on a day-to-day basis. It's so easy to be mean to ourselves. It's so easy to be hard on ourselves. It's what we're surrounded by every day, day in, day out in our society. Do more, be more, be better, be the best you can possibly be all the time, right? But what we're not necessarily surrounded with is this the idea that it's okay whatever you are right now. 
and it's okay no matter what part of your journey you're on, no matter what what you look like, what you sound like, right? Those are not, I mean, we get more of those messages now definitely than we used to. For sure, there are people kind of waking up to this idea that being hard on ourselves isn't beneficial. Um, like I said before, this is, this is the hard one. This is the one it's, it's, I don't want to say quote unquote easy to do trauma sensitive mindfulness or breath work. I mean, there, there's difficulty there for sure. But for me personally, turning around and expressing compassion and forgiveness to myself is really difficult because we all hold, I think, a higher standard for ourselves than we do others, right? I think it's pretty easy for me at least to extend compassion to people around me. In fact, you could make a carbon copy me exactly the same, put her out in the world, and I would be infinitely kind to her and tell her how beautiful that she was and what a great job she was doing. But I would turn around in the mirror and struggle to say those same things to myself, even though my twin is standing in front of me and I did a great job saying it to her. And I would deeply believe that, you know, the things I'm saying to that other person are true. Uh, but as far as practicing self-love, self-compassion, forgiveness to yourself, I think the tricky bit comes in really embodying it, right? So it might be as simple as putting some really nice notes of affirmation on the mirror. Definitely something that I've done. So when I go into the bathroom and I look at the mirror and I'm brushing my teeth, I've put things on there like, you're beautiful, you're strong, um, you're, you're smart, right? Just things that I think that I might need to hear to remind myself that, I, yeah, I am, I am beautiful. Check me out. You know, like things where you can have that moment of, it sounds a little silly, right? It's like if you ever played The Sims, making your Sim go talk to themselves in the mirror would give you charisma. <laughs> like what a what a nerd I sound like right now, but that's fine. Um, it's true though, right? Like getting ourselves that positive affirmation while looking at ourselves creates different neural networks in our brain, different pathways that we can walk that lead to feeling differently about ourselves, to looking at ourselves differently. Um, and that again... That's the answer to me. To me, the answer to how do we heal? How do we grow? How do we get through this is compassion. If we hate ourselves and we show that to ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves and talk to ourselves, then it's my belief, my firm belief that we're going to stay stuck where we are, either in a, in a suffering, traumatized state or in a not present state um, or just in a in a state where maybe we're not suffering, but we're not growing either, right? We're kind of stagnant, if you will. I, I truly believe that in order that you can do all the work and check all the boxes and eat all the right things and go to therapy and meditate and you can check every box on the list. But if you look at yourself, hate yourself, say mean things to yourself, don't allow yourself to rest. Man, that's a big one, right? Don't allow yourself to receive love and care from others or to ask for help from others when you need it. If you don't allow those things, it's my firm, firm belief that you're just, you're not going to move through the things that you need to, to grow into the person that you're trying to become. And again, I say that with, you know, <laughs> like intensity because it's important for me to hear it as well. I think there's not a person on this planet that's walking around that 
I shouldn't say not a person. There are some people who have mastered this. I should definitely give them credit because it is a lot of work. But there are very few people on this planet that are walking around with real self-love, real self-compassion all the time throughout the entire month. It is a skill. It is difficult. And it is something we have to work at cultivating. But it is kind of the gateway, right? It's the gateway to being able to effectively use some of these other strategies that I've talked about in this episode to really help grow and start healing those wounds. We aren't bad. There's not a part of you, no matter what it is or how dark it is or how icky it is or how mean it is, no matter any of the negative words that you can come up with to describe it, there's nothing wrong with us. We are amazing human beings floating on a rock through fucking space, (laughs) right? So enjoy the goddamn ride, you know, like make yourself stop wasting our time on feeling not like we're not enough or feeling like there's something wrong with us. And again, just because we want to love ourselves where we are doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge that we're heading somewhere, that we are trying to grow into something different. But this body right here, right now, whatever it is for you, for me, is what's getting us to that next place. And we should practice, should, I should say, (laughs) quote unquote, that we, I believe, need to be a person who loves ourselves right now and is grateful for that person right now to get us to that next spot. So I'm really passionate about this last one. I'm sure that you can hear that. It means a lot to me for people, myself included, to understand that we're worthy, we're enough, that we are absolutely what we need to be right now. And that even if we never changed, which isn't what human beings are, but in this hypothetical situation, even if we never change, that's okay. That we're here and we deserve to be here just as we are right now. So... With all that being said, um, I want to thank you all again so much for tuning in today, but also if you were able to listen to my episode from last week about my own journey, stepping out of my shame and into my story, it really did mean a lot to me. And I'm really grateful for you holding the space to allow me to step into that. Um, If you feel like you're self-struggling after hearing that episode or you just want some support or you're just looking to reach out, um, please feel free to contact me at the office. You can shoot an email over. It's on the website if you're interested. Um, But I definitely would love to cultivate a conversation around that and just give you any support that you might need for, for holding space for me. So I just really want to express my gratitude to all of you. I really appreciate your ears. And I want to thank you all for tuning in to the Project Lioness podcast, where we're here to guide you towards reclaiming your power, inspiring you to purpose your purpose, and ultimately inviting you to play all out in life. And until next time, keep rising, keep roaring, and keep inspiring. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining the Project Lioness podcast. Did you find value in today's episode? Help us impact the lives of others by sharing this podcast with someone you know who would resonate and benefit from the Project Lioness message. Excited to hear more? We invite you to subscribe on whatever platform you're tuning in on. And we'd be so grateful for you to leave us a review about what you enjoy most as well as what you'd like to hear more of. Thank you so much for all of your support. Sincerely yours in power, purpose, and play. 
Dr. Mel with the Project Lioness podcast. Keep rising, keep roaring, and keep inspiring.